you'd open your Bibles to Romans 15, interesting passage of Scripture today, as they all are, but this is really interesting. Paul is the man of God that God used to do an impacting work worldwide. And he's going to wind down this letter, and it's like no conclusion to any other letter that he ever writes. The 15th and 16th chapters of the book of Romans are the conclusion to this tremendous doctrine of the gospel of God. And it's very personal, and there's some real practical things that we can glean from this. But you'll notice in verse 14, the text says, And concerning you, my brethren... And he uses the noun brethren to say these are believers in Christ. I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ. And I want you to notice the emphasis that he's going to put now and how many times he's going to mention his ministries about Jesus Christ. And also notice the chronology of the way he uses these proper nouns. Christ is the noun that emphasizes Jewish Messiah, and Jesus is the noun that emphasizes he's the Savior. You'll notice verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There you have a reference to the Trinity. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. You really get a glimpse here, a personal glimpse of the ministry of Paul as he begins to wind down this letter to the Romans. May God add his blessing to the reading of it and the exposition later. Will you join with me, please, in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we bow before thee today to thank you for grace. Paul stresses that right here in this text. Thank you for grace a grace that has nothing to do with our works, a grace that has nothing to do with our keeping the Old Testament law. We thank you for grace that is found totally, completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, this passage in Romans is very eye-opening. We pray that we would be a church and people full of goodness. We pray we would be a church filled with all knowledge. We would be a church that's able to admonish each other. We pray that we would see the church as a sacred, serious place where we do business with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for what we've seen you do. We thank you for what you've done in this church. We thank you for what we've seen you do. We pray that your work would continue, that we may be a powerful display of your grace, and that we might be a place that bears fruit. We pray that we would never forget about the responsibility we have to very accurately communicate the word of God and the grace of God to the world. And we pray that you would use our church here, Lord, this your church, to reach this city, this state, this country, 
and this world with truth. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is winding down an impacting letter. He challenged those people to stop judging each other, criticizing each other over gray areas. He said to the weak people, just knock it off. He's written some strong stuff, and the doctrine he's laid out second to none in this book of Romans. So he's going to begin to wind it down, and he's going to defend himself in the ministry. It's intimidating to try to minister to a church where you've never been. And unless you've gone through the process, you don't know how intimidating that is. Usually, if you're invited to speak at a church, you'll go and you'll present some type of message, and you don't want to really get too deep because you don't know where the church is. Many years ago, one Saturday afternoon, I received a phone call from a man I'd never met. He introduced himself as chairman of the board, head elder of a church, and he said, are you looking to move? I said, nope. He said, are you happy with where you are? I said, yes. He said, would you consider moving? And I said, only if God would move me to do it. He said, we hear you're a pretty serious Bible expositor, and that's kind of what we're looking for, and that's why we're calling you. I was not looking for that. I was not looking for that ministry. I was not politicking to get it. I'm not sending out resumes hoping to land something. I was not trying to impress people pretending to be something I wasn't. I was truthful with them. Well, they decided they were going to have us go out there, so we did. We flew out there, and there was an open question congregational forum type of meeting. And the board and the congregation could ask anything they wanted to ask. I was up front for the most part, then Mary was brought up front. They could fire anything they wanted. One guy said, if you were pastor of this church, would you permit someone to teach mid-trib or post-trib rapture if they didn't agree with pre-trib rapture? And I said, no, absolutely not. I said, first of all, it's a false doctrine, and I have very carefully studied all the prophetic passages and can prove it. Secondly, I said, it destroys God's people. Because they're not told by God they're going to go into the time of wrath. They're told by God they're going to be delivered from the time of wrath. And third, the constitution of this church says you hold to the pre-trib rapture. So, no, I wouldn't allow that. Another guy raised his hand and said, well, would you permit lordship salvation to be taught? I said, not a chance. It's a heresy. It mixes works into grace, and I won't permit it. I said, look. And I'm not trying to impress anybody out there. I'm looking them in the eyes telling them this. I said, look, my job is to carefully teach the word of God. I'll do it as carefully and as systematically and as consistently as I can. I'm not called by God to entertain you. I'm not called by God to try and emotionally move you or present some eeny, meeny, miny, moe theology that you can pick. I am called by God to instruct you in the things of God, and that is, by God's grace, what I do. And then a woman raised her hand. She said, do you and Mary intend to have any more children? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, that is none of your business. I thought, this church is never going to vote us. They voted us to become the pastor. What are the chances of that? That's what Paul was doing here. Paul had never been to this church. He knew a lot of people in it. He'll name a lot of people. 
when he ends this book of Romans, but he's written a powerful letter to this church. He's never been there. And his letter to the Romans was an amazing letter of doctrine. It was deep. It was doctrine of the grace of God. But it was challenging. And Paul was a gifted apostle. He's writing an inspired letter. He wants these people to know, I just didn't sit down one day and dream this stuff up. I didn't just sit down one day and think, ah, I'll just write these people a nice little friendly letter. So as he begins to wind down this letter, he wanted them to realize, you need to know what's going on here. You need to know why I have decided to do this, why I've decided to write you this book of Romans. I want the believers in Rome to know what I thought about them, what I think about them. I want them to understand why I wrote to them, and I also want you to understand the type of ministry that I have to the world. He said, you need to grasp this. You need to understand what I'm all about in writing this letter to the Romans. I've written you in the first 11 chapters heavy doctrine of the gospel of the grace of God. All humanity is sinful and guilty before God. There's only one way you can be justified. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You have the imputation of righteousness that is given to you when you believe, and you have the Holy Spirit that puts you into Christ the moment you believe. I've written all that to you. Then we got to chapter 12, and I wrote how you apply the gospel of the grace of God. Now, he said, you need to understand what's behind all this. You need to know why I'm doing this. And there are six personal messages that he communicates to the people of the Church of Rome. And the first message is, I'm convinced that you people in the church, you're learning, you're growing, and you're developing. He says in verse 14, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Paul is emphatic on the point that this church was going someplace. It's interesting that the verb convinced and the participle filled is a verb and participle that is passive. Now, why do I bring that out? Because obviously Paul is not just inventing this himself. God has let him understand there are people in that church of Rome who truly have been developing for the glory of God. So he's not just giving them some sloppy flattery here that's designed to make them like him. And it's also not some ego-building rhetoric that was fictitious. In fact, there were some churches where Paul would never say this about them. He would never say, for example, about the church of Corinth, I'm convinced that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish each other. In fact, he said, you're so carnal, I can't even teach you. You're so carnal and fleshly in this church, I can't even teach you the meatier things of the Lord. So he doesn't just say this to just try to impress people and get people to like him. And there are three facts that he says, I'm convinced about. Obviously, the Holy Spirit had revealed this to Paul about the people in Rome since he had not been there personally. The Holy Spirit had revealed this to him about the people in Rome. And there are three facts. And first of all, these believers of the church were full of goodness. That's what he says in verse 14. I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You know, that's what people should be able to say when they look at us and look at this church. That's a good church. Those are good people in the church. That's a great reputation to have. And by the way, that's quite an upgrade for these people at the Church of Rome in view of what Paul has said earlier in the book when he said there's none who does good, not even one. That, of course, was in their 
pre-faith, pre-Jesus Christ condition. He's saying there's none who does good, no, not one. But since they'd come to faith in Jesus Christ, since they'd believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, these people had really taken an interest in being involved in things that God classified as good. And he says you are full of goodness. They had been developing in a full way. They were interested in doing what was good. They weren't involved in silly stuff. They weren't involved in shady stuff. They weren't involved in stupid stuff. This was a church that really was focused on trying to do good. And Paul knew that these people were like that. He knew these people were interested in doing that which was good and kind and helpful and beneficial. They were obviously a church filled with people who were like that. Now, he doesn't say these people are sinless. In fact, he doesn't say, I'm convinced everybody in the church is sinless. He doesn't say that. But he said, what I know from what I'm learning, obviously, from, I think, the Spirit of God, is that you are a church that's full of goodness. You are moving in a way that is good. You know, we have kind of a reputation that's somewhat like that. In fact, we've heard people say, this is a good church. And Nelson Miles said it Wednesday night. For those of you that weren't able to be here, he gave a great history of the school and what God's doing with the school. And he said this to this church. He said, this is the only church that supports us, that prays for us. The only church. Now, they have a lot of churches that support them. But this is the only church that prays for him and prays for the ministry out there. And we do. We do faithfully. We pray for it Wednesdays. The ladies' prayer group prays for that on Thursdays. I mean, we are faithful to pray for that ministry out there. It's a church that's moving in a good way. That's what Paul said about that church. It's a church full of goodness. Secondly, it's a church with all knowledge. He says in verse 14, you're full of goodness filled with all knowledge. These were not shallow people here. This is a great accolade. By the way, in the list that we'll go through later in chapter 16, I don't see any seminary graduates in that church. I don't see any names of anybody in that church that somebody would say, man, they're a real world scholar. What you had is you had people who were serious about the Lord and serious about the word, and they were not shallow. And they obviously had reached a level where they were filled with knowledge. They were after biblical knowledge. That's what they wanted. They had developed in their faith. They were people who were going after knowledge, and those two things go hand in hand. That's how you develop in your faith. By going after knowledge of the Word of God, they had the right focus. They weren't going to church because of their feelings. We want to have some emotional feeling experience. They weren't going to church to have some experience that would be sensational. They were going there because they wanted knowledge of the word of God. Man, when you get a church of people that are going to church for that reason, you've got something. Because most churches aren't like that. Most people aren't like that. Most people who go to church are after experience. But those that are going after knowledge, now that's something. And Paul said, I know that that's the focus of the church of Rome. He said, that is a tremendous attribute. And Paul uses a word for knowledge here, genoseos, which would indicate they don't have the total depth level of knowledge that they still need, but they're after knowledge. They have as a primary objective going after understanding the things of the Lord. There's still more they needed to know. There were still more books of the Bible, as it were, they needed to study, but they love truth. They love to be taught the truth. 
The word knowledge refers to the knowledge that may be mentally comprehended. I mean, these were people who had sound minds. These were people that were after truth when they went to church. They were after the knowledge of God. In fact, by Paul saying this, that they were filled with all knowledge, they're not after some entertainment, and they're not after emotional experience. They want knowledge. Paul said, man, I can commend you for that. And then he said, this church was able to admonish one another. Verse 14, he says, and able also to admonish one another. Now you're getting somewhere. The word another, alelos, is a, another of the same kind. So we're talking about believers in the church. And the particular emphasis of Paul is these people had reached such a level when situations would arise within the context of the church, they had the ability to actually admonish each other with their minds. They could communicate things that were sometimes even a warning type of admonishment, because that is the word that's used here. When he uses the word admonishment, it's a word that means to communicate things that sometimes have a warning to them. So what you had here is you had a church of people, they have some real biblical wits about them. And if some people would get off track and they started to get off away from what was true, these people apparently knew enough about the word of God and the doctrines of God. He could say, oh, wait a minute. You need to get back on track. They had the ability to admonish each other and warn each other. Man, that's what you want. You want a group of people that have such a handle on the word of God that they don't have to be running to the pastor all the time. And saying, what do we do with this? You want people to be so knowledgeable of the word of God that they can actually say, look, I understand this doctrine. That's why we teach it in this church, by the way. That's why Tim Kelly teaches doctrine in this church. It's not just for something to do on a Sunday morning. This is valuable things. And you'll be able to spot things that are true, spot things that are false. And this group of people had developed to a point by the spirit of God where they were capable of analyzing things. And Paul said, I know. You're a church like that. I commend you for that. But his second message is, I had written very boldly to these believers to stress certain things. But I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Verse 15 begins with that strong adversative conjunction, but it's true. These were good believers. They were well-developed in the faith. They had really matured in the Lord, but they still needed to know truth. They needed to have a handle on it. They needed Paul's instruction. No matter how far along they were, they needed this gifted man of God to instruct them. And Paul makes it very clear, I'm not some whiny, wimpy preacher. And he sure isn't a whiny, wimpy writer. He preached bold, he wrote bold. Not arrogant, but bold. He had the boldness to him. And Paul said, I'm writing you because you still need instruction. You need to grow. You still need to develop in your relationship with the Lord. And there are four reasons why he says he wrote to these believers some bold things on some points. He said, because I specifically have been given the grace from God to write inspired scripture. That's what he says in verse 15. I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. 
Now, I'm assuming the some points refers to the doctrinal section where he's straightening out their doctrine. A man's justified by faith apart from works. A man's justified by faith apart from trying to keep the Old Testament law. I also assume some of the points included the application of the doctrine. But you do learn here what Paul viewed as his ministry. His ministry was to boldly communicate the truth of God. That's what God called him to do. I really believe, ladies and gentlemen, when the text says, but I've written very boldly to you because of the grace given to me. If God has truly given someone a grace gift, and especially if they're called by God to do it in a public way, they're going to have to be writing. They don't have to write inspired scriptures. They can't. But they're going to have to be writing in light of the inspired scriptures. They're going to have to put down on paper what it is they're going to say to a congregation. They're going to have to write it. And Paul said, I was bold to do that. I was courageous in what I wrote. Just imagine how courageous Paul was to go up against an entire religious world that is teaching you can be saved by your works. And go up against an entire religious world that is teaching you can be saved by the Old Testament law. I mean, those guys wanted Paul dead because he's teaching you cannot be saved by works. You cannot be saved by the Old Testament law. You can only be saved by Jesus Christ. Paul said, I have been boldly proclaiming that, boldly proclaiming that everywhere I've gone. Why? Because a grace gift has been given to me. And don't overlook that. Grace is given. It's not earned, it's not deserved, it's not merited, it's given. Paul said, everything in my life has been rooted in a sovereign grace ministry which has been given to me by Almighty God. Secondly, because he had specifically been called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. The word for minister is liturgos, from which we get our English word liturgical. Let me say what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I actually have been called by God to have some public ministry, a liturgical ministry. In other words, I have a responsibility to be a public minister for the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's saying, I have a ministerial responsibility to publicly communicate the doctrine and theology of Jesus Christ to the world. And all the letters that Paul writes are basically designed to unravel that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there are those that God does gift to be able to publicly minister the word of God. Then there are those that he doesn't gift that think they have a gift. And that's where the problem comes in. But Paul said, I do have the gift. I was called by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. And I was called by God, by his grace, to have a public ministry of communicating the word of God, which is why I'm writing you this letter. That's what he's telling the Romans. The third reason is because he had specifically been made a priest to minister the gospel of God. He says in verse 16, ministering as a priest the gospel of God. I want you to notice how Paul views his ministry on the same sacred level as that of a priest. Now, he said, my ministry is to boldly proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ, but he viewed it as a priestly ministry. He said, I have a public ministry responsibility to communicate the truth of God. I do it boldly, 
And I am viewing that as a very serious ministry. I view it as a sacred ministry. I view it as I'm a priest of the gospel of God. Hey, can you imagine a sacred priest permitting a rock band to be on the platform at church? Could you envision that? A sacred minister of God saying, let's put drum sets and electric guitars up here and get a 70s group to come out here and entertain a crowd. In fact, let's take out the pulpit. Paul said, I'll tell you what, I view ministry as a very sacred priestly ministry. And God is the one who's called me to this ministry. I take it seriously which is why I've written the word of God. So if a person is truly involved in a Pauline-type ministry, they're going to be very serious about the written word of God, very serious about accurately communicating the written word of God. The fourth reason is because he wanted the Gentiles to be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, we read, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I'll tell you what, the priest of the Old Testament, they offered animals. He said, I offer up the Gentiles. In other words, what I do is I present an offering to the Lord, which is an impact that has been made on the Gentile world from communicating the truth about Jesus Christ. And he includes all three members of the Trinity in this verse. You can't help but see it. Paul was a minister of Christ Jesus. That's God the Son. He was a minister of the gospel of God, a priest of the gospel of God. That's God the Father. And Paul's ministry was sanctified by the Holy Spirit as God the Spirit. And the goal of Paul involving himself in writing letters and ministering to people would be that they would end up taking the word of God seriously so they could be a sanctified offering, sanctified by the Spirit of God. And by the way, how does the Spirit of God sanctify you? Written scriptures. Focus on the written scriptures. You have to take the written scriptures seriously. And Paul said, I believe the word of God, which the spirit of God has been by grace allowing me to write, is fully capable of taking people to make them acceptable in the sight of the Lord. And the written word of God can accomplish that. His third message is Paul would only boast about things pertaining to God that were in Jesus Christ. Verse 17 says, therefore in Christ Jesus I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. There's nothing wrong with accurate, true observations about what God has done. Nothing wrong with that. That's not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. The Apostle Paul was proud in a right sense of one thing, Jesus Christ, and what he'd done. He was a man who was quick to boast about what Christ had done for him. He was a man who was quick to boast about what he'd seen God do in him and with him. This guy had been used by God all over the world. If a person is truly in a right relationship with God, being sanctified by the Spirit of God, there should be some fruit. 
that they can point to and say, I've seen God do this. I mean, I've actually seen God do this. Which brings us to his fourth message. He would only talk about things Jesus Christ had accomplished through him. Verse 18, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, we learn a lot right there. First of all, Jesus Christ does use people. He does work through people to accomplish things. Paul says that. He worked through me to accomplish things. We also learn here that the one who gets the credit and the glory ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I will only boast about the things that I've seen Jesus Christ do. I'm only going to boast about things where I've seen Jesus Christ change lives. I'm only going to boast about people when I've seen the word of God take effect on them so that they grow and blossom in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We could stand up here for the next hours and put names from this congregation in this text and say, here's what we've seen God do. We could list them. Here's what we've seen Jesus Christ do in the lives of these people. Paul said, that's what I'm doing. And by the way, I think it's good for us to ask ourselves a question. What have we seen the Lord Jesus Christ do in our life recently? As we look around, are we seeing the Lord use us? Are we taking advantage of opportunities? Are we quick to share truth boldly at times so that people can understand the truth? Paul says, I want you to know I talk about things that have been accomplished in Jesus Christ and what he's done with me. And I've seen him do it. Which brings us to his fifth message. Paul would only talk about things that Christ had accomplished through him that produced obedience in Gentiles. He says in verse 18, Christ has accomplished resulting in obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. The goal of his teaching was to have people grow that they would love the scriptures and obey the scriptures. Paul wasn't interested in boasting about places he went. Man, that guy had been all over the world. He'll mention that in just a second, some of the places he'd gone. He wasn't interested in boasting about that. What he was interested in doing was sharing things that he'd seen God do through him by grace, where fruit was born, and there were people who fell in love with the word of God. They wanted to obey it. I read a story from the life of D.L. Moody. A guy didn't like Moody because of his grace presentation. And one time he was driving Mr. Moody through the streets of Chicago. They spotted a man who looked like a drunk setting up against the building. And the man recognized the guy, and he said to Moody, isn't that one of the guys who was one of your converts? And Moody said, yep, he must have been one of mine because he sure isn't God's. In other words, Moody wasn't bragging about that, but Moody could certainly say, but there's a lot of people who've been reached for Jesus Christ through my ministry. I have seen Jesus Christ change people's lives. I've seen him change my life. I know many of your testimonies, so I know he's changed your life. I saw a girl in Idaho, a woman, knock on my door and say, you're my last stop, and if you can't give me any hope, I'm going to kill myself. That was the first words out of her mouth. If you can't help me, I'm going to kill myself. I said, what's the problem? She rattled off some sins. When she got done, I said, I got some great news for you. First of all, you haven't committed every sin that's listed in the Bible. 
And secondly, Jesus Christ can wash it away. That woman bowed her head in my office. I saw this. I saw this. That woman bowed her head in my office, trusted Christ the Savior. Moved to California. Two, three years later, I get a knock at the door. There's her sister. And she says, I want you to know, she spent her life serving the Lord in the church because she stopped by this office and trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I saw God do that in a presentation of the Word of God. Now, that's something to talk about. And Paul said, that's what I talk about. I talk about what I've seen God do. And there are three facts he brings out here about himself. He said, I fully preached the gospel and I backed it up with powerful signs and wonders. I mean, there ought to be some evidence that God is working. There ought to be something powerful that God does. But Paul was an apostle. And these signs and wonders were, by the way, signs and wonders of apostles. He's making that clear. You're not just getting a letter here to the Romans written by the average guy. You're getting a letter to the Romans here that's inspired by God that's been written by a guy who's done signs and wonders. I mean, if you track what Paul did through the book of Acts, he made a guy go blind, he made a crippled man from birth walk, he commanded a demon spirit to come out of a girl, he actually was doing miracles in Ephesus so that his handkerchief and aprons that touched him could heal diseases and cast out demons, he raised a young man from the dead, he was stoned and left for dead, got up and walked away, he was bitten by a deadly viper, shook it off like it was nothing. Paul said, I have lived through that, I have done that. I'm an apostle by the grace of God. I didn't deserve any of that, but that is what God has done, and that's why I'm writing to you. Secondly, Paul said, I fully preach the gospel of Christ in power of the Spirit of God. He says that, and in the power of the Spirit of God. Miracles never bring unsaved lost people to faith in Jesus Christ, never. But Paul is very clear to point out here, the signs and wonders didn't do it. It was the preaching of the gospel that did it. And when I preached the gospel, there were people that were saved. And I saw God's Spirit work in people's lives in the power of the Spirit. He says that in verse 19. In the power of the Spirit, I saw God save people. You can't conjure that up. When I was a new Christian, I didn't know much about doctrine. I didn't know much about anything before I got under Mr. Miles. And the first person that... I saw come to faith through me witnessing was a man. And I said to someone inadvertently, I led him to Christ. That's what I said. I led him to Christ. And this very wise man of the word said, no, no, the spirit of God brought him to Christ. What you did is you planted and watered and you sowed the seed, which is what God expects you to do. And as you sowed that seed, God saved that individual and gave you the privilege of watching it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the power of the Spirit of God at work. When someone comes to faith in grace, Paul said, I've seen that. And then, thirdly, he said, I've preached the gospel from Jerusalem to Eluricum, and this is fascinating because Eluricum is modern-day Albania with some parts of Yugoslavia and Bosnia. You're looking at over 1,600 miles north of Jerusalem. I can't find that in the book of Acts. And believe me, I've crawled through the book of Acts. And I can't find where he went there. I mean, he went to Italy and Greece and Turkey and Macedonia and all over Europe. But I don't know exactly when he went there. Many believe it was on his third missionary journey. 
But Paul says, I want you to know something. I took my preaching and teaching ministry to the whole world. That was my goal, to preach the gospel to the whole world. That's why we're on the radio. That's why we're on this internet. That's why we have this. Our heart's passion is not to make a name for me or you or the church. Our heart's passion is to take the word of God, accurately handled and communicate it to the world. And that's exactly what Paul said his mission was. And then he follows it up with, he said, I never aspired to preach the gospel of grace in old places. I aspired to preach them in new places. He said, I would try to find places where the word of God was never preached. I tried to find places where people had heard about religion. They had all these religious notions. They'd heard about the Old Testament law, but they'd never heard the truth about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So he said, what I wanted to do was find those areas, those pocket areas where these people had never heard about the grace of God in Jesus Christ and take them the gospel of the grace of God. That was my goal. My goal was to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ all over the world. He's not going someplace to start a church like people do today. I mean, quite honestly, why would we need another church in Texas Corners? Think about it. You think the motive for starting these churches is, wow, we can really feed people the word of God seriously. I don't think so. I think in many instances it's just, let's promote our quirky religious denominational views. We can start our own little church and do that. Or we can start a place where everybody's going to feel important. Everybody's going to feel good. It'll be a good time. Church doesn't have to be reverent and serious and priestly. It can be entertaining. Let's just welcome the people in. We don't care if they live a life of depravity. We'll just make them understand that they ought to feel good about themselves. There's never any threat of hell. Paul said, that's not why I have a ministry. My ministry is to preach the truth of God so people can understand it. And what he preached was this. He preached that all people are sinners. And that is why Jesus Christ died on that cross. And if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forever saved. Paul said, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that grace, but that is grace. And if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what your past, no matter what your previous sin, you'll be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, right now in this moment, you can settle it by just inviting the Lord into your life. Just admit the truth. You're a sinner like all of us. Invite Jesus Christ to take over your life. I did in 1976. Change my life. It'll change yours. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for Paul. We really have a church here today in many ways because of a connection we have to him. And thank you that he was not ashamed to take the gospel of the grace of God to the world. Thank you that you used that gospel by the Spirit of God to reach into our minds and hearts and lives. Thank you for grace. In Jesus' name, amen.